Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. This is Dante Daniels, and you are listening to Healing with Dante Daniels on the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul. And tonight's topic is an alarming trend, educating your doctor with propaganda. Yes, propaganda. First of all, it helps to know what propaganda is. Propaganda is information which is false or misleading and designed to get you to take action that you would not otherwise take. So, to educate your doctor with propaganda means that the information your doctor gives you, the recommendations your doctor gives you, are going to be false and misleading. And what disease are we talking about? We're talking about foodborne illness. So, foodborne illnesses kill more or less about 6,000 Americans a year. So, the government agencies have various counters and they count different ways. So first, we're going to talk about the facts. And where do we get these facts from? As always, the uh, National Library of Medicine uh, .gov, National Institutes of Health. So let's see what uh, the facts are, what the database says, and then we're going to take a look at what your doctor is being told, and then we're going to, I'm going to make some recommendations about what you can do to protect yourself from foodborne illness. And, of course, as always, this is not medical information uh, or advice. And uh, for information purposes only, take action at your own risk. (laughs) Or what I'd say is don't take action at your own risk. Anyway, here we go. So we're looking at the um, CDC, Center for Disease Control, and they have been counting. And this is their latest report as of July 15th. 2016. That's about uh, about a month ago, so it's pretty recent. Now, we are talking about the medical industrial complex that does kill 880,000 Americans every year. So, we're looking at a disease here that kills 6,000, more or less 6,000 Americans a year. 
Uh, this is very interesting because uh, they say this is the burden of foodborne illness. All right, so we've got the marketing going on already. Now, the important thing to, to get here, I think, which is absolutely fascinating, is we have something called medical science. So this is supposed to be um, based on science, things that we've tested, things that we've looked at, we've counted, and that we know. So supposedly medical science is supposed to be sharing with you, the public, what is known. So let's look at what is known. What is known is that there are uh, 6,186 deaths every year from foodborne illness. And the other thing that we know, get this, 3,574 of those deaths are from unspecified agents. Unspecified agents. So in more than half the cases, the agent causing the foodborne illness is not specified. Now, we can't call this uh, scientific because this is like an unsolved murder. You can't scientifically say that you don't know who did it because basically that's no more information than you had when you started out. Okay. So information is only known about 2,612. When I say information, I mean the causative agent or pathogen. So 31 different agents, viruses, bacteria, funguses, are causing these 2,612 illnesses. But guess what? Five of those pathogens cause 88% of all the deaths. So let's just scoot down and see what those are. Salmonella, neurovirus, Campylobacter, Toxoplasma, and E. coli. So, oh wait, excuse me, those are just the hospitalizations. Let's scoot down to the deaths. Okay, deaths are over here. Salmonella, Toxoplasma, Listeria, Neurovirus, and Campylobacter. These are the ones that cause death. Now, why am I looking at those? When we are entrusting an uh, organization whose therapies are deadly and that kills 880,000 Americans a year, we need not entrust to them any conditions that are not deadly. So for this reason, we looked at the deadly conditions. Now let's take a look at these particular foodborne illnesses and see how they could possibly be contracted. Salmonella is one. So salmonella uh, lives in the gastrointestinal tract of people and um, animals. And they, um, people can be infected with salmonella from uh, animal feed and from the environment. So there's something called silage. Um, and when silage, which is basically food for animals, is stored, uh, salmonella grows in that. And so many foods such as meat, poultry, eggs, and raw milk get contaminated, and it can contaminate fresh produce, that would be vegetables, when the vegetables come in contact with infected animals or other environmental sources. Now, let's be specific here. So when vegetables are transported uh, a long distance, they're put in trucks, and a lot of times meat was transported in those trucks prior, and that meat can be contaminated and contaminates the vegetables. 
So vegetables can be contaminated in transport, and they can be contaminated any other way where they're in contact with meat. Okay. So processed foods have been found to be contaminated with salmonella, including chocolate, breakfast cereal, flavored potato chips, or crisps, snack products, peanut butter, fermented meats, cheese, milk, powder, and ice cream. And it can be shed in the feces of infected humans uh, for some time after symptoms have subsided. So a person can have no symptoms and still uh, transmit it. So infected food handler causing illness is rare. It's very rare. So that's what we're told, that infected food handlers spread this stuff, but it's very rare um, source. Okay, so we have salmonella, and we know that it's basically an animal thing, lives in animal intestines, and it's transmitted through meat and through handling vegetables in association with meat. All right. And salmonella is the number one killer, causing 28% of all deaths. This is followed by Toxoplasma gondii. A toxoplasma is an emotionally charged situation. Why? Because um, toxoplasma comes from kitty cats. Yes, kitty cats. And people don't like to give up their kitty cats. But the way that um, toxoplasma works is that um, toxoplasma is in the cat feces. Obviously, if you change the litter box, uh, you're at risk for uh, contracting this. But even more interestingly, when cats poop, their poop is eaten by uh, mice and birds. And then when cats trap these mice and birds, then they get it back again. And that's basically the cycle. The cycle is broken when pigs and sheep come in contact with the cat feces or with the mice or the birds and they pick it up, and then people get it when they eat the, uh, in this case, pork. Also, uh, litter box is an is a, uh, avenue, and then uh, that's another way that people get it. Now, it's really surprising that toxoplasmosis is such uh, a big uh, source of food poisoning. But at, at eating undercooked meat in animals that harbor this, that would be your... Uh, pigs and your lamb here, consuming food or water contaminated with cat feces or by contaminated environmental samples such as soil or the litter box. And blood transfusion and organ transplantation transmits it. And if the woman has it, then obviously she can transmit it to her fetus while she's pregnant. This is very interesting. In other words, many people have toxoplasma and don't die. In fact, don't even have symptoms. So if we take a look then at our list of the most deadly, toxoplasma is actually the second deadliest foodborne illness. And um, the only practical way of preventing it is to cook your meat fully and make sure that you uh, filter your water. We'll talk more about that later. So that's toxoplasma. So your second biggest risk is undercooked meat, milk, and your kitty cat. What about the third uh, most deadliest? 
that would be listeria, listeria monocytogenes. If we take a look at listeria, listeria is uh, interesting um, because it lives in uh, different habitats, but it likes water. And so when they looked at the listeria outbreaks, it's caused by extended refrigerated storage of ready-to-eat foods. So the solution here is simple. Just don't buy ready-to-eat foods, especially those from the refrigerator section in the store. Um, then they, or if foods are contaminated during production or subsequent handling. So don't buy food that's been produced or handled. Um, and then uh, dispersal of contaminated products of sewage treatment to agricultural fields and waters. So in other words, sewage is often used to fertilize agricultural fields and waters. And so literally, the practice of spreading sewage on these fields is a problem. Now, I know some of you farmers are going to say, Dr. Daniels, of course you're going to use manure to fertilize. Correct. However, you can allow the manure to ferment, and then once it's fermented, it becomes essentially sterile because of the heat generated in the fermentation process. So it's a matter of trying to disperse or get rid of um, city sewage quickly by spreading it on agricultural fields, which is not a good thing. All right, so that's how uh, listeria gets into the system. So what's our next biggest killer? Neurovirus. So number four on the list is neurovirus. Now, norovirus is caused by eating contaminated food like uncooked fruits and vegetables and shellfish, drinking contaminated water, or direct contact with someone who's infected. So, um, as far as what you can control, since you don't know who's infected or not, obviously, this is definitely a case for filtering your drinking water um, and washing your uncooked fruits and vegetables. But in the United States alone, this virus is estimated to cause 21 million illnesses every year and more or less 800 deaths, um, depending. So it fluctuates from year to year. Um, in the past year, 2015, the government says neurovirus caused 237 deaths. In other years, it causes 800. So all these, by the way, they do fluctuate. There's currently no treatment for neurovirus infection, none, other than rehydration therapy. So in other words, you just have to drink water, salt, whatever, and just keep replacing whatever you lose by diarrhea uh, or vomiting. All of these illnesses, in terms of symptoms, we're talking diarrhea and vomiting. So on a symptomatic basis, they are basically indistinguishable. So for our final killer, Campylobacter, we take a look at uh, Medline, that's our source, and uh, you get Campylobacter, get this, from well water, from the municipal water supply, and from chickens. That's the size of it. And so obviously this is a, a case for not drinking tap water. And it can be found in the gut and feces, which is the poo, of animals and commonly found on raw poultry. And so 
the way you do way you get infected is by eating this through your mouth, either by drinking the contaminated water or eating the contaminated meat, especially undercooked meat, also unpasteurized milk. So we're seeing a pattern here. Uh, by the way, the use of antibiotics to treat Campylobacter is controversial. So some studies show if you give antibiotics, it rapidly eliminates the organism, but from the stool, so the culture, stool culture is negative, but it doesn't change the duration or severity of the illness. So obviously, it's not going to save any lives, like, duh, why bother? Especially if you have a medical industrial complex with an 880,000 people per year kill rate. Okay, so what else do they know? So they've done a lot of research on these things, and what they figured out is most deaths associated with foodborne illnesses occur in food that has been transported throughout the United States. Right. So if you just don't eat food that was produced outside of the state where you live, you cut out more than half of your risk of dying from foodborne illness. How about that? Um, also, they found that conventional meats, that means meats that are not uh, wild-caught or organic, have a higher infection rate and a higher content of, re- of drug-resistant organisms. That means things like MRSA. And so all of these resistant infections, many of them may actually be foodborne illnesses. That's for, of course, another show. Actually, I did that show, but it's called MRSA on your dinner plate. But... Um, so not eating conventional meat, that's going to knock out another 20%. So you can, you can get rid of 75% of your risk just by not eating food that's transported from out of state, not eating conventionally raised meat that's treated with uh, antibiotics. And if you want to take it to the next level, of course, only drink filtered water. That would be distilled or reverse osmosis. And when you do those three things, you pretty much um, you've, you've got it covered. You've covered over 80% of your likely sources of foodborne illness. Okay, so let's see what they're telling your doctor. What are they telling your doctor? Interesting. Now, this is something that always irritated me when I was in medical school, or even worse, when I was in medical practice, because then I had more time to you know, look into these things, is I would take a look at what I was being taught at um, continuing medical education conferences, only to find that what I was being taught had nothing to do with uh, what the research showed. Okay, so what are they saying? So this is uh, something sent to your doctor June 28, 2016, and it says a year of multi-state foodborne illness outbreaks. And uh, Centers for Disease Control estimates each year about one in six Americans, 48 million people, that's a lot, gets sick from foodborne illness. What is that? That's nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, with or without fever. That's 48 million people. So you can see that naming an illness Ebola with nausea, vomiting, 
diarrhea and fever and saying it's all over the United States is a simple matter. All you do is just rename all these 48 million people, reclassify them as Ebola, and you've got an epidemic. And this is pretty much the way epidemics are created. Okay, but 48 million people get sick every year from these illnesses. 128,000 are hospitalized and 3,000 die. Now, they picked the number 3,000, but um, the CDC website says 6,000. So that's okay. We'll leave that open to uh, interpretation. Most foodborne outbreaks occur within one state. But the multiple state outbreaks cause more than half of all deaths. And so obviously not eating food that's distributed across straight state lines, again, you're going to eliminate half, more than half of all the deaths that were happening in 2015. Okay, so foods that cause multi-state outbreaks are contaminated before they reach a restaurant or home kitchen. What does this tell you? This tells you that we're talking about food that you purchase from a restaurant or from a grocery store. So the next step, of course, is to stop buying food from restaurants or grocery stores. So investigating these outbreaks reveals problems in the farm, again, spreading the raw sewage, which we talked about, in processing or in distribution. And so uh, these outbreaks are caused by a wide range of contaminated foods like ice cream, raw vegetables, sprouted nut butters, and Mexican-style meals. Nice outbreaks. But the Mexican-style meals, just by the way, had zero fatalities. So uh, we'll get to that in a minute. So wisteria mitogenies and ice cream killed three people. Okay, got three deaths. So let's see what what happened there. So this is the Bluebell ice cream situation. Um, First multi-state outbreak linked to ice cream. And the manufacturer recalled it. And they couldn't find exactly where in the facility this happened. But they recalled the ice cream. Okay. Uh, there's a public system to identify these outbreaks. That's nice, but uh, not really helpful. So salmonella and cucumbers. So the cucumbers are contaminated with salmonella, and this had six deaths. And so here, the traceback investigation identified imported cucumbers as the source. And there were two cucumber recalls. After peaking, the number of reported illnesses declined substantially, but not as fast as expected. The investigation was unable to determine whether the higher-than-expected rate of illness could be explained by cross-contamination by recalled cucumbers in shipping containers or at retail locations. So salmonella do not like cucumbers. And so the only way for salmonella to contaminate cucumbers would be for cross-contamination in the shipping process. This is why it's so important if you're concerned about foodborne illness and you want to avoid it is to not eat um, food that cross, crosses state lines because the transportation process is uh, quite hazardous and there's room for cross-contamination. Listeria mitogenies and soft cheeses, uh, three deaths. Now this is, uh, this one, this outbreak occurred among Middle Eastern people in the United States. And so they were all apparently buying their cheese from a central uh, location, and that was deemed to be contaminated. 
And so cheeses, though, uh, even in the absence of contamination, are fairly hazardous because um, cheese is made, a lot of cheese is made by inoculating it with the strep organism. So cheese can be a source of strep throat and respiratory um, illnesses. But in this case, it had an extra contamination with the listeria, and there were three deaths. So avoiding cheese is uh, not a bad idea. Next, um, Shigella toxin-producing E. coli at a Mexican-style restaurant chain. We have to give this a eh, thumbs down because there is zero deaths, right? So we have a um, medical industrial complex that kills 880,000 people, and for them to give the public an example involving zero deaths from a condition we know kills 6,000 Americans is propaganda. So we know here we're getting propaganda. And so um, investigations in several states, CDC, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and Chipotle Mexican Grill worked diligently to determine the source of the two outbreaks. They interviewed sick people uh, and suggested that a common meal or ingredient served at Chipotle restaurants might have been the cause, but food testing and a review of Chipotle's distribution records did not identify a food item or ingredient that could explain either outbreak. So this is a bogus outbreak, and basically this is a propaganda piece to get people to not eat at Chipotle, which is known to be um, kind of a medium to high-end grill with higher quality ingredients. Let's see if we can find more propaganda. Okay. Multiple drug-resistant salmonella in the pork. Death zero. Okay, so we have it. Death zero. This outbreak began in Washington and was eventually linked to pork from a slaughter plant in that state. People reported eating pork prepared in one of several ways. They don't tell us how. Multiple clusters of ill people said they ate at whole pig roast in the weekend before they got sick. The outbreak highlighted the need to prepare, cook, and serve whole pigs safely. Another noteworthy aspect of this outbreak was that tests indicated the strain causing the illness was resistant to multiple drugs, including anthocyanin, streptomycin, sulfasoxifol, tetracycline. So antibiotic resistance may be associated with increased risk for hospitalization, bloodstream infection, or treatment failure. In other words, this pork these pigs were obviously treated with antibiotics, some pretty heavy uh, antibiotics. <laughs> uh, so the real part, well, first of all, deaths from this are zero. So this really shouldn't even be included in this uh, particular uh, venue. Now I have another E. coli, death zero. Same brand of E. coli. Soon after investigators realized the majority of ill people reported eating Costco rotisserie chicken salad, the company removed all remaining chicken salad from its stores throughout the United States. When ingredients to the chicken salad were tested, initial results found E. coli in the celery and onion blend produced by Taylor Farms Pacific. So you see what's going on here. We have industry-raised vegetables transported a long distance in trucks with possible cross-contamination with meat and then mixed into another product, chicken salad. 
And so you would expect that the E. coli would be from, well, possibly chicken, but it's actually from the vegetables that have been transported a long distance. So the hygiene involved in transporting vegetables is incredible. And so um, obviously vegetables are healthy. So what should you do? Buy your vegetables from a local farmer and just be done with it. So the only transportation is a local farmer bringing the vegetables in his truck. You may even want to go so far as to buy from a local farmer who doesn't transport his chickens and his vegetables in the same truck. And so the FDA conducted a traceback investigation of the ingredients used in the chicken salad but could not identify a common source of contamination. No additional illnesses were reported after the actions taken by Costco and Taylor Farms. So they, they could not identify exactly where it came from. And this is the case for most foodborne illnesses. Here's another one. Sprouted nut butters. So sprouted nut butters are obviously moving in on the market for peanut butters. And it's like serious competition. So we have here an outbreak of salmonella with uh, zero hospitalizations and zero deaths. So this is, a, this is simply an opportunity to vilify sprouted nut butters. That's all it is. Again, you have an industry that itself kills 880,000 people, and they're going to pretend to protect you from something that kills zero people and hospitalizes zero people. And for me as a doctor, this was really frustrating that they would tell me about all these illnesses like this that had no death rate, no hospitalizations, and I'm supposed to warn my patients against this when at the same time I'm supposed to give them dangerous drugs that could kill them. And so it was really very frustrating. But in this case, this is a propaganda piece to vilify, of course, sprouted nut butters. So nut butters have caused multi-state foodborne outbreaks over the past several years. In this outbreak, the epidemiologic data indicated that gem raw brand sprouted nut butter spreads were linked to illness. It's also a slight against the raw food uh, people who like to eat raw. According to the manufacturer, the nuts used in their spreads were soaked and sprouted for 24 hours, after which they were dehydrated before being ground and blended into the nut butter spreads. Raw sprouts are known for the foodborne illness. The fact that the nuts were sprouted before grinding into nut butter may have increased the likelihood that any bacteria present on the raw nuts were able to multiply. Okay. So how did they identify? Okay, so they did, they did narrow it down uh, and isolated salmonella. Again, no hospitalizations, no deaths. Maybe the sprouts pr- protected the person from the severe effects of the salmonella, which, of course, is one of the top killers. So emerging issues, testing. They're telling doctors about all the fancy new tests they have to detect these things quickly. An emerging issue is the raw food movement. Yes. Another emerging issue is the growing popularity of unprocessed raw foods. So you see where this is going. This is a propaganda piece to get doctors to keep their patients from eating unprocessed foods that are raw. Never mind. Most of the deaths come from processed foods. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll look at those statistics. So multi-state outbreaks of foodborne disease have been linked to various raw foods over the past several years, and CDC expects this trend to continue 
as people continue to choose less processed and these bad choices of unprocessed foods. This is what your doctor is getting. This is what your doctor is hearing. So what's your doctor going to say? Oh, my God. You're eating salads? Oh, no. A green drink? Oh, my God. And so you can expect your doctor to come down pretty hard on these uh, habits you may be trying to cultivate. People at higher risk for severe foodborne illness, get this, young children, older adults, those with weakened immune systems. So if you don't have a weakened immune system, you really don't have a lot to worry about. should consider the risks associated with unprocessed and raw items when choosing foods. So you parents out there, if you're trying to feed your kids more fruits and vegetables, you may be endangering their life. This is what your doctor is being taught. So, did they tell your doctor anything about the water supply? Was anything mentioned about water being a source of foodborne illnesses? No? Hmm. Nothing was mentioned about the water supply. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. And then you take a look. Let's take a look at where this stuff appears uh, to be coming from. So they've done, they did a study. Now, this study is old, back in 08, just to let you know how much they really care about this stuff. Or I guess they really don't care at all. And um, in this study, they look at what killed people and uh, where it was. But this, like I said, can shift from time to time. This is very interesting. So if you take a look at the number of deaths, they, they go from bottom to top, and they have several different categories, 15 categories of food. So obviously you look at top killers, which is number one killer is poultry, number two killer is dairy. You'd never guess it from the information they gave your doctor, right? Eliminating dairy and poultry from your diet would go a long way. In fact, it cuts your risk, according to this graph, uh, almost in half. Why don't we take a look at the bottom end, though? Let's take a look at the, at the foods that almost never cause any problems at all. Yeah, why don't we do that? Well, funguses, namely mushrooms. No problems with mushrooms. Interesting. Crustaceans, that would be like lobster or uh, crab. Interesting. Oils and sugars. All right, do that to your imagination. Then, root vegetables, no problems there. Grains and beans, no problem there. Sprouted vegetables, although a little bit of problem, but not much. And uh, wild game. Yep, wild game. So wild caught. uh, So funguses, crustaceans, wild game, root vegetables, grains and beans. Very interesting. If you eat those foods, your chances of getting a foodborne infection are just about nil. In other words, the number of deaths per year in hundreds from all of those sources combined is less than 100. That is very important to know. So 
do we find that anywhere in the information your doctor is given? Is your doctor given any information to help you know what foods are not infected? No. No, none at all. So the doctor gets this propaganda piece filled with fear and no, you know, you don't get any information. Uh, the doctor doesn't to give the patient, to help the patient understand how to protect themselves. Now, these things, fungi, you know, you pick the mushroom locally, right? Wild game, you know, you, you shoot it right there on the spot. And, you know, it's not transported across state lines usually. And so these things that are not causing infection are like with grains and beans, they're not co-transported with meat or they're very local foods. And that actually is the key. Simply eating um, local foods, especially your produce, should be local. And your meat should be local, but as well, meat that's not treated with antibiotics. So all of a sudden, it becomes pretty simple to um, protect yourself. And the other uh, issue, of course, is your water. And water is so, so important because a lot of the water supply, a lot of the um, country is contaminated. Now, it may be contaminated with acceptable things like maybe cryptosporidium, but it is contaminated. And the only way to protect yourself from that is to drink filtered water uh, or purified water. Again, my recommendation is reverse osmosis or distilled. But clearly, uh, the propaganda your doctor is, is, is being given um, leaves them totally unfit to in any way protect you from what's going on. And so with information sources like this, it's easy to see why or how 50% of what doctors are taught is false. Also, with conclusions and interventions that are ineffective, it just adds insult to injury. And so this is what uh, the public is left with. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, It's, it's amazing. So an industry with a kill rate of 880,000 Americans a year should not be permitted to intervene in any illness where the death rate is zero. Further, because the methods used are clearly lethal, in other words, the methods used in um, modern medicine, the same group should not be involved in the prevention of any condition as the individual does not have a condition. So in other words, if you're preventing something, the person is healthy, and the only thing that can happen is that they could die, as in taking cholesterol medications. So it's at best assault and worse attempted murder as a clear risk of death is not, uh, doesn't have a balancing benefit uh, in the present or really in the future. And again, this is how 880,000 Americans die each year for medical intervention. The medical industry intervenes or is trained to intervene, the doctors are, in cases where there is no risk of death and uses lethal methods to do so. So to prevent foodborne illnesses, doctors are supposed to tell everyone to stop eating fresh vegetables? That's outrageous. And we know, I won't say we, but certainly the CDC knows, uh, the FDA knows, and we have enough epidemiological information to know 
that when people's consumption of, of fresh vegetables goes down, death rate goes up. So uh, an example of this kind of nonsense treatment is uh, a diabetic not experiencing a heart attack is given treatment X to prevent a heart attack, but of course the treatment to prevent a heart attack is itself lethal, and in many cases more lethal than the heart attack, because obviously even though the percent who die from the treatment may be less, the number treated is far greater than the number who either would have had a heart attack or who end up having a heart attack. And so this is, uh, this is basically how it's done. So this little uh, peak into how foodborne illnesses are presented to your doctor is an introduction for you um, so you can see how these cases or diseases are prevented, presented to your doctor, how the doctor is advised to uh, respond, and how this response um, leads to worse health outcomes uh, for you. And it is a real um, disappointment, you know, that, that this is the information doctors are getting and this is the way that it's being presented to them. And the doctors are, are given um, a biased snapshot of what's going on. I mean, if you have an illness, foodborne illness, that's killing 6,000 Americans a year, why not at least limit your 10 examples to examples where somebody died? And why not tell the doctor the truth, which is in more than half of all foodborne illnesses, no infectious agent is identified, which, of course, poses the next question. How do we know it's a foodborne illness? If we have no documentation of the causative agent, you know, is, you know, can we really say it's a foodborne illness? We can say it's an intestinal illness. We can say it was associated with eating a certain food at a certain time, but we don't have any scientific evidence. In other words, it could be that it was a food. It could be that the food was microwaved. And in the process of microwaving, certain poisonous chemicals were created between the microwave dish, say, and the food. So there's all kinds of possibilities for these foodborne illnesses, and not all of them. Um, are infectious. So, in other words, you can't even say they're infectious if you cannot identify the infecting agent. And this is another issue with modern medicine. is they claim jurisdiction, they claim knowledge, they claim authority when there is none. So if a person gets nausea, vomiting, diarrhea after eating at a restaurant, but there's, it's not possible to isolate an infecting organism at the restaurant, even if everybody got sick. The question is, what caused it? It might not be a foodborne infection. There might be a toxin or a poison in the food. Don't know. And so the uh, medical industrial complex takes this don't know category, which is more than half of all illnesses, and then... Um, claims that, okay, here's the answer. Stop eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Oh, my God, this is a terrible trend. People are eating unprocessed foods, and they're making themselves sick. 
uh, people promise people are eating things. They think they're eating unprocessed foods, and they're not. They're eating foods that have been processed through a truck where meat and vegetables have been co-transported. So that is, uh, that is the problem. And, of course, the problem is reframed, reconfigured, fed back to your doctor as a problem that people are eating too many fresh vegetables, and this is a dangerous habit. So what's the answer? Well, the answer, of course, we see that beans don't have any foodborne illnesses, and they haven't been making anybody sick. So one obvious example or solution is to sprout your own beans in your own house on your own countertop. And this is something that's actually pretty safe. I've done it for years and have never gotten sick and only felt better for it. So that's one thing. Now, of course, the presumption, and if you're listening to the slides I read to the presumption is that everyone is buying their food at the grocery store or at a restaurant. And so nowadays, that doesn't need to be the case. And those two sources of food, restaurant, grocery store, are the most dangerous places anybody could possibly source their food. It's almost irresponsible at this point to continue shopping at those two places. So where do you get your food? Answer, direct from the farmer. And now there are all kinds of associations and consumer organizations that make this possible. And for those of you guys who are hunters, guess what? Hunt game and eat wild game. I happen to know there's a uh, feral pig problem in the um, western United States for sure. And so everyone in the western United States definitely should, you know, take up hog hunting or befriend someone who hunts hogs. And there are probably other uh, feral animals that one can, um, one can hunt. So those are the things that you can do to take control of your food supply, not be a victim of foodborne illness. Even though it only kills 6,000 people a year, 48 million, that means one person in six, will get a foodborne illness this year. That means, on average, at least half of all households will be affected by a foodborne illness, half to a third of all households. So this coming year, you're going to either get a foodborne illness or chances are good you're going to know someone who gets a foodborne illness. So this is going to be pretty, um, pretty prevalent thing. Now I'd like to take an opportunity to tell you, uh, definitely go visit Vitality Capsules, vitalitycapsules.com, our sponsor, and check out Vitality Capsules. They definitely keep you regular, improve your immune system, and definitely prevent constipation. And constipation is one of those things that compromises your immune system and makes you more susceptible to foodborne illnesses. Why? Because they have more time to multiply in your system because you're not getting rid of them. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So we are ready for questions. Tons of questions in the chat room. We'll check out those. And let me take a look at the control panel. I have to go find it. Ah, there it is. Okay. All right. We have one question here. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and your question? Hi. Good afternoon, Dr. Daniels. Um, my name is Tanya. I have a question. I, I've been following your protocol 
Um, I had started it before, started started over with the turpentine. Mm-hmm. And um, what what I've been experiencing, it's been about a week. Um, the area in question in my neck, in my throat area, um, I started applying the turpentine in that area. What are you trying well, to do? What, a, are you trying to, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, the thing is, is that the doctors say they don't know what it is, but I have like a, a manifestation of things going on in, in my my neck and in my throat, and um, oh, okay, I think And so, um, I've taken things in my own hands, and you know, and taking the the turpentine internally and then applying it to my neck. Well, it seemed like. It, it, like it, like I said, it woke something up because I started having uh, I don't even know how to describe it. A lot of discomfort and everything. And I you know I do the enemas, everything. I've been because I cleansed quite a, quite some time before I started this protocol. So I'm trying to figure out mm. is am I still doing the am I doing the right thing or is it sometimes where some people um, it gets a little worse. This is a little worse before it gets better. No, no, no. Turpentine does not get worse before it gets better. So if you're getting worse, mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So okay. it doesn't work that way. This is, not, this is not a medical thing. We don't work on the medical model here. <laughs> uh, if okay. you're doing it right, then you just simply get better and better and better and better. So there's something mm-hmm. that you're doing wrong. And um, it, it's not possible to really, you know, go into detail, dissect your diet, your hydration, you know, what kind mm-hmm. of enemas are you doing, how often are you doing, what volume of fluid. What are you putting up there? All of that would need to be looked at to, to get at exactly what, what's going on. So the best thing to do would be to go to um, vitalitycapsules.com and either join the monthly office hours where you can ask questions and just you know, lay all that out or to get a discovery session um, and you click on discovery session. And discovery session is an opportunity for us to talk about what's going on, help you sort it out, and either you can work on your own once we sort it out. You can work on your own to implement things and, you know, fix it. Or I have a longer-term program, which is 16 weeks. And so the discovery okay. session, I basically okay. let you know, okay, this is the deal. This is what's going on with your situation. This is what you need to do. And then you can either, you know, just go ahead and do it. Or you can say, hey, um, I'd like you to help me do it. Either way. Okay. Awesome. Thank okay. you. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye. Okay. All right. That's it for the control panel. Let's take a look at the chat room. Oh, by the way, um, coming up in three weeks, September 9th, is the um, Healers in Panama program where I teach people how to be a healer just like me. I explain to you how I analyze people's conditions so actually, you could do a discovery session yourself. You'd be able to look at your condition, the condition of your relatives, friends, and sort out for them what's going on, what dietary change they might need, what supplements they would need, what supplements they should stop. And the goal of the uh, one-week program, you would come to Panama, is for you to experience different healing diets. I actually provide supplements for you to take while you're here so you can experience feeling better. And... Um, the goal is for you to be 911 so you don't have to call 911 and put yourself in the hands of people who um, are pretty darn harmful. So let me give you the page to go to. It's vitalitycapsules.com forward slash healer, H-E-A-L-E-R 
so you can become the healer in your home. And we have about five slots remaining, so definitely check it out and apply. There is an application fee. Um, should you decide to come to Panama, the application fee is put towards your visit. Should you decide not to come, it's refunded. So it's just a deposit um, just to kind of uh, give me a manageable number of people to talk to about the program. All right, awesome. So <laughs> Dr. Dan, do you recommend horseradish for daily use? No. Um, I recommend horseradish either medicinally or as a condiment. Um, okay. Is mold a possible problem when sprouting on the counter? Not usually, because when you sprout on the counter, um, your sprouts are done in four days and you eat them immediately. So mold shows up when there is a storage issue. So when there's a storage issue, that's when the problem is. And with sprouts that are sprouted at a sprout farm, they sprout them, they package them, they ship them to the store, and then they're, they're sold, and you might eat them the second or third day. I know when I buy sprouts, it t- takes me a whole week because I use them as a, um, as a garnish. And I get the spicy ones. Um, so that is where the problem comes. As with anything and everything, the problem comes the delay between preparation and consumption, the delay between harvest and consumption. The, minim- the less the delay the less the hands that the food changes, then um, the less chance that you're going to have any kind of problems. So if you sprout your own sprouts at home and eat them promptly, no problem. Now, what should you do if you um, can't eat all your sprouts? Let's say you're a really good countertop farmer. What do you do? Um, Answer is if you can't eat all your sprouts as in a salad, then you can put them in a blender and make a smoothie out of them or, heaven forbid, cook them. Yes, cook them. Two cups of sprouts cooks down to a half cup, and um, you can um, cook them, put them over rice, potatoes, whatever. Tastes awesome. And it's better than, A, wasting them, or, B, letting them mold and eating them when you shouldn't. Okay. Dr. Daniels. I know people in areas with feral hogs that do not seem to be eating them when they kill them. Hmm. Um, feral hogs um, are sold. So most people who kill feral hogs on a big way, like they trap and kill like 10 or 20 a day, um, they sell the meat. They, they, they've got a business going. Um, a person who, who shoots uh, feral hogs maybe on their property because they're trying to get rid of them, um, there may be people like that who do that but who aren't um, savvy enough to butcher and eat them because obviously um, if you butcher and eat these hogs, you don't have any need to go to the store and get hogs that are laced with hormones and antibiotics. Dr. Daniel, some of the feral hogs around here are eating GMO corn and soybeans. Wouldn't that be unhealthy? Okay, so now we have degrees. So you, have a, you, you can buy, you can go to the store and buy a piece of meat that has been fed GMO and antibiotics and hormones. And it's going to kill you 10 ways. So this hog that 
ate GMO corn and soybeans. First of all, it's not all they ate. They ate um, other wild stuff and wild herbs as well. Um, and two, they don't have antibiotics and they don't have hormones. So I would say that feral hog is a better bet than something at the grocery store. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. The other day, I was listening to an Olympic athlete talk about staying healthy. And I realized the problem is that we as a society are accustomed to taking health advice from attractive people or, and or people with fancy degrees who have never been seriously sick and people whose bodies have never really broken down yet, so their experience or opinion about health is biased and mostly theoretical rather than from experience. This is a good point. Dr. Dance, what do you think? Exactly. So we, have, we doctors are trained from the age of 22 uh, to 26. That's medical school. And we're given all these theories about illness. We've never experienced any illness. Um, you know, 99% of what they're telling us is, is false. We don't know because we've never been sick. And then we're given methods that are totally ineffective. And since we've never been sick, we've never taken any of this stuff. We don't know that it doesn't work. But I will say, in medical school, um, I had many classmates who were, who were rather wealthy, went to a doctor for everything as kids, and they had incredible acne for which they had been medicated tremendously, and it didn't work. So I had not a single classmate in medical school who was treated for something as a child and the treatment worked. And, of course, that gave me a little bit of hesitation. And uh, you'll be thrilled to know that personally I have experienced many illnesses and cured myself of these illnesses. And so um, everything that you learn at the Healers in Panama Retreat is based on my personal experience. Either I've taken it myself and it's worked or I've recommended it for someone else. Are there scholarships? No, there are not scholarships at this point. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, This person says they're 56 years old and they're diagnosed with small intestinal bowel overgrowth. That means lots of bacteria. They did a round of drugs uh, of course, that wouldn't work. And they switched to a few other things, but it's not getting better. <laughs> what would help the knee? Seems like the, everything's gone to the knee. Um, it sounds like this person definitely needs some vitality capsules to at least clear out their intestine. That's a start. Because if you try, what you're doing is you're moving things around your body and you're not getting it out. And that's another thing we cover at the Healers Retreat. We talk about how to figure out when things are just going round and round and round and how to get rid of them, and how to know when you need to get rid of them. All right, that is everything. I'll give you that website again. It is vitalitycapsules.com forward slash healer. All right, we are at the end of the show. They're putting the sound in my ear telling me that I'm out of time. So, as always, think happy, and we'll see you next week.